Welcome to the porch. How we doing tonight? Let's go. Hey, my name is Josiah Jones. I have the privilege of serving here on staff. I want to give a shout out to all of our Porch Live locations. Porch Live Dayton, Ohio, Midland, Texas, ATL. We see you, Porch Atlanta. Give them up. And then right here in this room, Dallas, Texas, we're so glad you're here. It's starting to feel like fall here in Texas. Dallas Pacific, come on. That's exciting. Texas Rangers are in the World Series. Let's go. And you're here, Halloween night, you're here. Hey, this is one of my favorite times of the year, Halloween. Let me put a picture of my family up on the screen. Let me show you. Okay, here we go. These are my three uh, kids. We got Camille, who's my oldest. She's Anastasia. And then my boy Caleb, he's Corey Seeger. Yeah, you know, that's right, that's right. And then we have Isabella and she's Ariel. And so that's my crew and, uh, and we love Halloween. I'm not with them, but my wife texted me that earlier and so I just thought I'd introduce my fam. Haven't done that in a while. Well, hey, we're diving into uh, John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it to John chapter 13. This is gonna be a familiar passage for some of you. This is the passage, we're pulling up on the passage where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We've been in a series titled Glory, Beholding Jesus Through the Book of John. And, uh, and we're coming back to a uh, familiar passage, like I said, and, uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited because of what God's going to do tonight. But before we get going, let me just start out by asking a question. If you knew that you were gonna die in 18 hours, what would you do? Like if you knew you were gonna die in 18 hours, what would you do? It's not rhetorical, let's just, let's just talk. Travel. travel, okay. 18 hours, she said she'd travel. Okay, I love it. Visit your family? What is it? Buy a cat? What'd she say? I don't bless that. Cats are from hell, dogs are from heaven. I just offended you, I'm sorry. That's not true, I'm playing. What else would you do? 18 hours, what'd you do? Get married, married, she says. (laughs) Fellas. What? Keep fighting for survival, okay. More specifically, if you had 18 hours to live, what would you do and who would you gather? Like, like who would you gather and maybe what would you tell them? And so the reason why I'm proposing this question to you tonight is because this is the scene in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus is is having his final meal with his 12 disciples because he has 18 hours from this scene to live. And he would go on to die on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is gathering his closest men, his closest boys, his 12 disciples, and he is about to tell them something very simple but profound. He's about to give his final message before he dies. Jesus is setting them up for the rest of their lives and he's giving them a message. Why? Because in a few hours, he would be betrayed by one of his disciples himself, Judas. In a few hours, he would uh, be betrayed by all of his earthly friends. They would scatter and run away. 
In a few hours, he would enter six different trials where he would be beaten, bloodied, and bruised beyond recognition. And if that wasn't enough, he would carry all of our sins on his shoulders. And he's gathering his closest men, his closest boys, his disciples, and he's going to tell them something in John 13. Here we go. John 13, starting in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, so think this is holiday season, what we're about to come up on, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Holidays are normally a joyful occasion where you gather with your family, you have some time off work, and you break bread. You share a meal. This is the scene that Jesus is having with his disciples. And so now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. He loved them to the very end. That's important. Circle that. During supper, when the devil had already been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Judas at this point had already made a pact with Satan to betray Jesus. To fulfill the ancient prophecy in the Old Testament in Zechariah 11 that he would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. That's just like a few hundred bucks. Each of us need to ask ourselves the question, what am I tempted to exchange my relationship with Jesus for? Sex? Fame? Money? Climbing the corporate ladder? Influence, autonomy, independence, comfort. Like, why am I asking you that question? Why am I saying, hey, this is a question that we should propose to ourselves? Because if we don't know the answer to that question, then we don't know how Satan is going to try to tempt us. Like, we need to have a death grip on this answer. For me, it's pride. Where sometimes I can wake up and say, God, I got this. I don't need you. The other times it's lust. I mean, some of you know my story. I was a porn addict for almost a decade of my life. The other thing that I know Satan will try to tempt me with is anger. When, when my expectations don't get met, when things seem out of control in my life, when I am grasping for control, I can just explode with the best of them. What is it for you? What are you tempted to exchange for your relationship with Jesus. Because Satan will try to tempt you with that. And, and you and I, we need to be able to live in the light with trusted brothers. If you're a guy in the room, you need some men in, the li- in your life to, to, to make war with. If you're a lady in the room, you need some women that, that you can make war with. We call that community group here at, at Watermark. That, that we would be in community with like-minded people, people that will help us fight against our sin, against Satan and what the world throws at us. For Judas, it was a few hundred bucks. What is it for you? He goes on in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now we just see that this Jesus' authority, like he's just flexing on them. Like, I've come from God and I'm going to go back to God. He rose from supper, verse 4. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
You see, Jesus chose these 12 disciples, including Judas, which begs the question, if Jesus is omniscient, he's all-knowing, then why would he choose someone that would ultimately betray him to show you and I that he's not just loving people that love him. He's not just loving people that meet all of his expectations, but he's loving people that would do some of the lowest things that you could do. I mean, some of you, you get this. Like when you hear the word betray, you're like, yeah, man, I've, I've been there. My, I had a parent that betrayed me. I had a best friend that betrayed me. I had a boyfriend, a significant other that betrayed me. And you, you get that. That resonates with you. And so here we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, which he's fully aware of the fact that one was actively planning to betray. And on top of that, he knew the hearts of all of them. He knew that Thomas would doubt him. He knew that Peter would deny him three times. And he didn't just wash the disciples' feet that was easy to wash. He washed the ones even knowing what they would do. It reminds me of the the verse in Romans 5 where it just says that Jesus... uh, died for us while we were yet sinners. Like he knew everything that we would do, past, present, and future, and he still went to the cross. He still had you in mind, knowing everything you would ever do. And he still went. He still washed the feet. He still loved his disciples. Jesus didn't let this distract him nor discriminate against Judas. There's real racism, even in this room. Discrimination. You have that in your heart because of maybe what someone has done to you. And Jesus says, I'm not going to let that distract me. I'm not going to let that discrim- I'm not going to discriminate against Jesus. Like I'm going to pursue him even when it's hard because he was on a mission. What was his mission? His mission was to seek and save that which was lost. His mission was to show the world that if this world is going to change, it's going to be changed through love. A ferocious love. And he put that on display on the cross of Jesus Christ. Like you also see that, that he's not going to be, his mission is not going to be altered because someone else sins against him. Like some of us, man, we're just like, oh, that person, you know, I'm out. Or it's just like, hey, I, I put my stock in that pastor or that church and they let me down. And I get it, man, that's painful. But you start putting your stock in a person, even people that stand on this stage, man, we're, we're going to let you down. And we pray by God's grace that we don't do anything stupid, that we continue to run the course that God has laid out before us. But we don't look to people, ultimately look to the one who's perfect, and that's Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that's, where, that's, what he's, that's what he has in mind. He's fixated on what God the Father has called him to do. And he's loving his disciples even to the very end. A couple things we can learn from this story through the life of Judas is this, is your heart hard towards Jesus? Let me ask you, was Jesus a good friend to Judas? Yes. Did Jesus serve Judas? Yes. Did Jesus love Judas? Yes. Was was Judas there when Jesus preached his sermons? Yes. Was he there when he did his miracles? Yes. Judas had a privileged seat in all of history to watch Jesus do the things that so many of you would say, hey, I don't love Jesus, I don't believe in Jesus, but if I had a seat to watch Jesus do the miracles that he did, 
2,000 years ago, if I could see Jesus, then I would believe him. And I'm telling you right now, if you have a hard heart, no, you wouldn't. That's Judas. His heart is hard. He's already made a pact with Satan. No one had a better seat to learn from Jesus than Judas. He had seen some great things. He's, he's seen Jesus turn water into wine. He's seen Jesus feed thousands with the little kid's lunchbox. He, he saw Jesus water ski without a, without a boat. He walked on water. He saw Jesus heal people without a deductible or copay, free health care. Like that's, that's what, this is, this is Judas. He's, a, he's got a front row seat to watch the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords do the unthinkable. And he's ultimately going to betray Jesus and hand him over to be executed and murdered. And then he goes, hangs himself in a field and dies and goes to hell. And I think we just have this mentality sometimes that, well, they're just in a better place. Maybe. Did they love Jesus? Did, 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 they, did they truly follow Jesus? I mean, Jesus spoke about hell twice as much as he spoke about heaven. And, and so for some of us, we need to understand that for those of us that know and love Jesus, this, this life is the closest thing to hell that you will ever experience. But those of us that don't know and love Jesus, this is the closest heaven you will ever experience. And that's tragic. Because I know the pain that's associated in this room. The last time I spoke up here, I talked about pain and suffering and why God allows that to happen. And, and, I, and I believe that God is ultimately going to come back. I've read the rest of the book, Revelation 20, and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. Death will be no more. There'll be no more pain, no sorrow. The former things will pass away. Behold, he's going to make all things new. And that's what we have to hold on to in the midst of pain and suffering. Number two, good Bible teaching is not enough. You have to believe it. Judas for three years was taught by Jesus Christ and he didn't believe any of it. One of the reasons why I love the porch, it's one of the things I love to do the most throughout my entire week is because I get to show up here and I get to sit underneath one of the best Bible teachers in all of America, I believe. I'm, I'm not saying that to Puff T.A., Timothy Atika, but I'm just saying, man, he's an amazing Bible teacher. But let me remind you what James 1.22 says. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. See, we can get the word of God into you, but you got to make sure that the word of God gets into you. Judas's problem was not information, it was application. See, some of us think that, oh, if I just get enough information, it's going to transform my life. No, it won't. Information doesn't equal transformation. Information plus application equals transformation. What Judas was missing, what my life was missing for 22 years, what some of your lives are missing is application. There's no shortage of information. You can show up on Sunday, Tuesday, podcast, get the latest books, some of us, we fail to do what James 2 says. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Faith without works is dead. You're not saved 
for your work or from your work. You're saved by God's grace. You don't work for your salvation, but you do work from it. Now that you are saved, you, in response, work from your salvation. And here's the the reality as we study this passage. You and I are prone to the same thing. When we look at this story, we have to ask ourselves, am I Jesus or Judas? And as you read the Bible, many times you read it and, and, you know, when Jesus is teaching, you're usually the people he's teaching about. If you're reading the Bible and be like, yep, there's Jesus again, then that looks like me. You're reading it wrong. I mean, that's just the reality. And so the, 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 our heart is prone to do what Judas did. Our heart is prone to, to fall into the same trap that Judas fell into. Number three, you, can lose your, you can't lose your salvation, but you can fake it. You can't lose your salvation, but you can fake it. This was Judas's problem. Like there's a debate in the church, did, did, did Judas lose his salvation? No, he faked it. He was never saved to begin with. Judas went to church, you're in church. Judas learned the Bible, you've learned some of the Bible. Judas was in relationship with godly people. Maybe you're here and in relationship with godly people. And listen, my job isn't to judge you tonight, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, to judge yourselves. So tonight I give you the gavel. Where do you stand? Ask yourself, do you love Jesus Christ? Are you faking it? Judas faked it for three years, and Jesus still pursued him and loved him. I faked it for 13 years of my life. Like, this was my story. I I came to Christ, or I said the sinner's prayer at eight. At the end of my mom's bed, it was nothing more than fire insurance. Parents divorced, never got plugged back into church, and went off to college, and my life was a train wreck. I mean, not, not literally, like, I mean, people would say, oh, Josiah's got everything. Some of you have heard my story. I share it often. And I was playing college baseball and thinking that I had everything at my fingertips, but it left me empty and unfulfilled. And so I had a Bible because that's just what religious people do. You, find, you usually have a Bible, and sometimes you might even go to church. I went to church at times. I wore that cross necklace around my neck, but my life looked no different than the rest of the world. I was hiding behind two-dimensional images behind my computer and sexual immorality with multiple women and partying. You, you know it. You know that, that, that lifestyle, some of you. And I remember opening the Bible to 2 Corinthians 13.5, and in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul is going to the church in Corinth, and he just says, hey, I'm not going to affirm whether you're saved or not. That's not my job. I'm not going to say, hey, do you remember that time when you walked the aisle or you committed your life to you know, at church camp. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, examine your life and test your faith against what the word of God says and see if your faith is truly genuine. And I was like, whoa. When I started testing my life against this book, I was like, man, there's no way I'm saved. First John 3 says, when you live in continuous sin, it shows that you belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God, Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil. And those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God is in them. And listen, he's not saying that you're never going to sin. He says you're not going to make a practice of sinning and never experience any life change. And I look back on my life for 13 years. 
And there was little to no life change. And so, man, I, all I knew was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. My mouth is stopped of all justification. I need Jesus. And I knew what that word practice meant. I did it every day on the baseball field. It's doing the same thing over and over and over and over till you master it. I was really good at sin. I was really good at sinning. And so I faked it. Do you believe in the Jesus who lives or the Jesus who lived? The Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, died on a cross and, and, and rose again on the third day to defeat sin and death. And now he's the poster child for Christianity. And now you subscribe to him. But your life has little to no bearing. You don't, your life doesn't really reflect him. Or do you believe in the Jesus who lives? That Jesus died on the cross for your sins rose again, sits at the right hand of the Father. He rules and reigns over everything and even your life. And you give him allegiance to the broken areas of your life. Like when you and the Bible disagree, who wins? It's one of my favorite questions to ask. You, do, you, do you submit to the things of God? I'm not talking about perfection. No one's perfect. No, not one. But I am talking about a desire, an umph, a passion, a, 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 a calling to be God's man, to be God's woman. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I am doing, Peter, you're not going to understand now. But after, afterwards, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. P Peter was just like, no, no, Jesus, this is not what you, you're like, you're the king of kings. That's not what you do, Jesus. See, for some of you, Jesus comes to serve you, but you're too proud to be served. And you think you're humble because you serve others. Humility is not just serving, it's also being humble enough to let other people serve you and ultimately in this concept, let, context, let Jesus serve you. How does Jesus serve you? When you recognize that you're a sinner separated from him, you need saving. Have you recognized that? Have you seen your need for Jesus? So Jesus answered him, okay, Peter, if you don't want me to wash your feet, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is like, okay, I can wash your feet or you can go to hell. <laughs> you know, like I just love like the bluntness of Jesus. You know, it's a paraphrased version, right? But, but that's just Jesus. Like plan A is Jesus, I wash you. I forgive you of your sin. Or plan B, it won't end well for you. Which one you want? So look at, look at his response, Peter's response. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So, so here's, here's Peter speaking up and, and says, Jesus, you aren't going to wash my feet. Then Jesus makes a declaration, which is an explanation to the simple gospel that unless I wash you, then you have no part with me. This foot washing is more than a physical act here. It, it is a painting a spiritual picture of what Jesus has done for every single one of us. The simple gospel is explained here. 
Just like Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, Jesus would shed his blood to wash our sin. The only way that we would come into a relationship with God is, is, is through the cross which washes away our sin. The only way that we can come into a relationship with the eternal God is when we say, God, I need you. God, I can't, but you can. There's nothing I can do to get to be made right with you. It's only through your death and your victory over the tomb when you rose from the dead, snatching the keys to life and death. Like, this is, this is what he's saying. Like, you can't wash yourself with good works. You can't wash yourself with religiosity. You can't wash yourself with, well, I hope my, my, my bad outweighs my good with charitable acts. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 just says it very clear that you've been saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift from God so that no man may boast. If you could get to heaven based on what you do, what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Last week I was up in Cleveland, Ohio, out of all places, teaching and doing a young adult conference, taught on Sunday morning, and I was with one of our guys on staff, Noah, who's our graphic designer. And so what do we do as Texas boys? We, uh, we find a little bit of Texas in Cleveland. We go to Texas Roadhouse. Right, anybody? I mean, I get it. We live in Dallas. Some of y'all are too bougie for Texas Roadhouse. It's okay. Not me. I like a good steak that's at a reasonable price. And so we go to Texas Roadhouse. And, uh, and we're talking to our waiter, D, and, and we're having a great conversation with him. He's a young adult and he's doing a great job. And so we're just getting to know him and what he's doing. And, and I just turned to D and I just said, D, I'm, I'm curious. Do you have a faith? And he said, no, nah, man, not really. I mean, I kind of heard a little bit about Jesus growing up, but then, you know, just kind of fell away. And, and I said, okay, no big deal. I said, D, you believe that you're a sinner. Like, you don't think you're perfect. No, man, I'm far from perfect. And, and I don't need to know everything, and, but I, I believe that too. I'm, I'm far from perfect. And this is what God's done in my life. And I just said, D, if, if you don't allow God to wash you from your sin, then, then, then whose sin is, is then, then what are you going to do with your sin, I said. Like, who, who is your sin on, to be more specific? He pauses for a second, he thinks, and he says, me. And I said, that's right. I said, does that concern you? He said, yeah, it kind of actually does. I said, well, I'm preaching tomorrow at uh, Sunday service. So I'd love for you to come. <laughs> no, I, didn't, I mean, I invited him, but, but we had a great conversation. And I was just talking to him, and, and I just said, D, you can either ask God to wash you from your sin or your sin can stay on you. Either your sin is going to be on Jesus or it's going to be on you. Which one do you want your sin to be on? And the same is true for everyone in this room. Your sin will either be on you or it will be on Jesus. Who are you trusting tonight to wash your sin? I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, the only sin Jesus ever had was ours. And the only righteousness we can ever have is his. Gosh. Let me, let me just read that one more time. The only sin Jesus ever had was ours. It means he's perfect, thought, word, and action. And the only righteousness we can ever have is his. Where are you going to go to be made right with an eternal God? One commentary says, 
The fact that this is in the Bible, John 13, Jesus stooping down to wash feet, says that this book was not written by man because men don't think this way. There's enough evidence just in this story that this book wasn't written by man. We don't think this way. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also shall wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that also you should do as I have done to you. So as a response to this message, we're going to give you an opportunity tonight to get your feet washed. And some of you are like, what? I'm playing. Take a deep breath. Just kidding, okay? Some of you are so uncomfortable that you start looking for the exits. No, that's not what we're going to do. But think about it for a second. Like, this is crazy. Like, what, what, if that, what if that was the response? You'd be like, I'm out, bro. I'm, I'm heading to get food a lot earlier than I thought. But seriously, take some thought to this. Why, why would you even have that? Because it's uncomfortable. It's hard. It takes a great deal of humility because you recognize that you're needy. And I believe Jesus is giving us this language figuratively, not necessarily so that we wash each other's feet. But can you imagine the intensity of this scene as they're seeing their Lord, their teacher, the guy that they revere? He stoops down, gets on the floor, washes their feet, done what would only be expected by the most lowly servant in that house. And so he's having the last supper, his last meal before his bo- with his boys. And in that culture, it was normalized to wash your feet before the meal. But no one had washed their feet. Why? Because nobody in that room, at that table, they didn't have the mindset, they didn't have the humility to say, you know what? I'll do that. I'm not above that. Where's the water? Where's the basin? Let's go. Where's the towel? None of them did. And so they're sitting at a meal that Most of the time in that culture, you would not eat until your feet were washed. And none of them have their feet washed. Because every single one of the disciples said, "That's I'm not going that low. I'm not going to the lowest servant in the house. I'm not doing that. And we all have that mentality, right? As we do life in our culture here in Dallas. Like, what's the threshold for you? I'm not going to do that. I'm above that. I'm too, I'm not, I'm beneath that. What, what is it for you? And Jesus is trying to show us what greatness really is. He's trying to redefine greatness with a towel and a basin. Think about one way that you could serve over the next 24 hours. Think through how can I do what Jesus has done? And obviously it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a 24-hour thing. It's a lifestyle. But to stoop and serve in a way that would be surprising and even shocking to a culture of Dallas. Several years ago, some students at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois, just got together and said, how can we put God's love on display in this city? 
And so one of them piped up and they just said, hey, what if we set up a free water station and a foot massage station at the Gay Olympics? No lie. And so they, they rented out a booth and they set up a foot washing station, a, a kind of a massage station, a, a free water station at the Gay Olympics. And people had been walking for miles that day and they were hot and they were sweaty and they'd been on their feet for hours. And one by one, people started to come. And one by one, they got out their supplies and they began to clean the feet and massage the feet and give out waters. And people started asking, why are you doing this? And they said, well, we follow Jesus. And we read, we read a story in the Bible where Jesus did something very similar. And they began to share the gospel with people in a way that was unarming, not intimidating. And about 100 yards down the road, there was another group of so-called Christians. And they had these signs that said, turn or burn. Turn or go to hell. Now, which one you think had more influence? Which, which message do you think landed better? I mean, I think we all know that it was the first one. But this is what God is saying. Would, would we do something with, what is your threshold to serve the people around you? God is trying to get us to think about how to put his love on display in a tangible way, in a way that is totally contrary to the culture that day. What would that be here in Dallas? Great question to ask ourselves is this. Whenever I see a need that I can meet, I try to ask myself, God, is this a need that you want me to meet? Like what if a couple thousand people in this room, whenever you saw a need, you just stopped and you asked, God, is this a need you want me to meet? This would slow you down. It would cause you to pause instead of moving on. I don't know if God's going to, he's not going to call you to meet every need, but what if we just pause long enough to say, God, would you give me eyes to see needs? Would you give me a heart that would be wrapped around the needs here in Dallas? God, God, would you give me hands that would be readily available to serve the needs of this city? I think God would use your life in a way that you've never seen him use your life before. To put God's love on display in a tangible way so others can come to know him. God is showing us that he defines greatness through a towel and a basin. Life is not found in how much you can get. Life is found in how much you can give. And listen, we selflessly serve because Jesus has selflessly served us. Serving doesn't wash you. You serve because you have been washed. And ultimately, he's giving us a picture of a deep love he's had for disciples who are all across the board. And he's saying, I've loved you to the very end of the age. And I'm going to show you how you can love to the very end of your age. Whenever your time is, whenever your expiration date is, this is how you are going to flip the world upside down. This is how the world is going to change. This is how the church is going to be birthed. When you understand this type of love. I believe that Jesus didn't come to give away titles, but he came to give away towels. Greatness is found 
in serving. I want you to help me welcome a really good friend of mine, a guy that is in my community group or, or, or in my extended community group, I would say, a guy that I've invested in, a guy that has probably invested in me a lot more. His name is Kyle Sullivan. Would you help me welcome Kyle Sullivan to the stage? And I know some of you are gasping right now because you're like, is he really going to wash his brother's feet? Yes. Kyle is a, a guy who I met. He was one of the first guys I met in the summer of 2019 when I came to the porch. And Kyle is one of those guys that I just related to quickly. He was a guy that been chasing everything underneath the sun this past Summer, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes and we studied about a guy named Solomon who was just chasing one thing after the next. And this was Kyle's story. He played football at SMU and, you know, had a lot of influence and prestige and stature, but quickly realized that greatness is not found in how much he could get. Greatness is found in how much he could give. And I was just intrigued in seeing this brother serving the Lord here at the porch. A guy who many would say, oh man, don't waste your time for three hours at the porch serving. Man, there's a lot of other ways you can give back or spend your time. And when I think about this story, as I think about what Jesus came to do as he allowed his love to, to drive him to a place where he would do the unthinkable. Like nobody wanted this role. Nobody. Because this role was dirty, it was filthy. In that context, it was an agricultural society. Like people would walk around in sandals. They didn't have Nike Air Max or Adidas Cloud Foams. Like they didn't have that, right? And so they would just walk on dirt and mud and, you know, I'm not going to get too graphic here, but, you know, the animals would poop and they would just walk all over those things and, and their feet would be absolutely filthy. And Jesus is trying to paint a picture. I don't think that's what Kyle's feet are. His feet look kind of pedicured tonight, right? <laughs> but Jesus is trying to paint a picture and he doesn't care if it's uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable to the disciples and I bet it's uncomfortable to Kyle. <laughs> but he is trying to paint a picture and I'm trying to paint a picture that has been preserved for over 2,000 years in this book. And I believe that God is trying to, 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 to etch, to, to brand this picture in our heart and in our soul tonight. That greatness is found when we get on our knees metaphorically and we serve. Because I believe in a culture like Dallas that fights for the next title, that fights for the next promotion, that fights for the next Instagram following, that fights for the next raise and that marks their greatness on a bank account or what zip code they live in or a car they drive. God is trying to flip this on its head tonight and get us to see that true greatness is found when we serve. And so tonight, Kyle, thank you for letting me have the privilege to serve your feet, <laughs> to wash your feet, brother. And so I think this water's warm. I think it is, man. Anna did a great job of 
making sure we're not shocking your feet up here. Come on. And, uh, and again, in this day, it's, it's not like what I'm getting to wash. It's, it's the lowest of lows. And I just think that sometimes when we think about serving, we're like, man, uh, maybe, I need to, maybe I need to capture this real quick, you know? <laughs> Hashtag changing the world. Let me get let me get that let me get one more. That was oh I need to I need to zoom out. Hashtag changing the world. Here we go. Hashtag serving my city. And and, and a lot of times, man, our, our motives are all wrong when it comes to serving. And Jesus was trying to show us, man, that serving should happen with no one, uh, no one really knowing about it. That if we're going to have the right heart, that if we're going to have the right motives, we're going to serve no matter if we get any type of praise. We're going to serve in a way that, that allows people to see God's glory, not our glory. And so when you go to serve, you don't have to have someone capture every moment and throw up that hashtag. You get to serve freely because of the selfless act that Christ has done for you. And so this is a picture, not, not a very good one. I mean, Jesus had a better one, but I'm here just trying to show you that, yeah, this might be uncomfortable, this might be weird, this might even be cringe for some of you. Like, what are you doing, bro? But I don't care because that's the point. Jesus saying, is saying, hey, it's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be what you want it to be. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful at times. It's going to require sacrifice. And so, Kyle, I love you. I appreciate you. Did we not have a dry cloth for you? Oh, man, he's going to be <laughs> dropping soaky, wet feet off the stage, man. Y'all give it up for Kyle. Jesus washing his disciples' feet is a symbol of serving. It's, it's a symbol of uh, that, that, that he would say, hey, if you... If I do this for you, you go do this for others. Then Jesus would go to the next disciple and the next disciple and the next disciple. And one of the things I can't get over as I continue to read this passage, like Kyle, man, he is a good friend, a trusted brother. Like I tr trust this bro with my kids. But then you see Jesus going to Judas and washing Judas's feet. And let me just tell you, like if Kyle betrays me, I'm just saying, man, the flesh in me is going to be like, I cut you off, bro. Like that's just, that's just human nature, right? But Jesus goes to Judas and he begins to wash Judas's feet. 
Like Judas was Jesus' financial advisor. He sat at the honor of, he sat at the most honored place at this last supper. Like the person that's your financial advisor is the person you trust the most. They're with, they, they, they have your money. Jesus, Jesus gave Judas his best and Judas still betrayed Jesus. And I can't imagine that fully, but I'm glad that I serve a king and a Lord who still serves and pursues us even at our worst. Because again, we aren't Jesus in this passage. We're Judas. We're Peter. Denying him. We're, we're, we're Thomas who doubted. And I'm just thankful that as I read this passage, I'm just overwhelmed by God's goodness in my life that he would choose to still pursue me and love me at my worst. That's the whole purpose of the gospel. That he didn't wait for you to clean your life up. He came when you were at your worst and says, I got you. I'll clean you up. And I think that this was in the mind of the disciples all those years after as they would engage in lives marked by service. Like church history would say that every disciple died for the cause of Christ. Like they gave their life up and they did it joyfully and they did it willingly and they did it openly and they did it gladly. And I think they remembered this scene where Jesus washed every single one of their feet And he said, now you go and do the same. And so if you're here tonight and you're like, man, I think I'm too far gone. You're not. Jesus is still pursuing you. Jesus is still serving you. Even if you have a heart to betray him, to doubt him, to deny him. He says, I'm here. What are you going to do with Jesus? Your sin is either going to be on you or it's going to be on him. Who are you trusting to wash you from your sin? The other thing we see quickly is just, what are you doing with your time, treasure, talents? Do you know that almost 200 young adults give their life away every single week to make the porch happen? Like, that's crazy. Why? Because they have a vision. Yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. They have a vision of a preferred future that affects their present reality. They realize that life is short, that they have maybe five, ten years, maybe shorter in this young adult life that God's given them to be able to maximize their days so that others around them can come to know Christ. Maybe before they get married or they move or they enter into a different season of life and they have kids or whatever the case may be. And so how are you giving your life away weekly? for the cause of Christ? How are you giving your life away annually for the cause of Christ? I know some of you right now, like you are, you're trying to figure out if you can go halfway across the country to a place where no one has heard the gospel. That would be an amazing thing to continue to pursue. And we wanna help you with that. Like what if your life was marked by those two questions? What am I doing weekly and annually so that people around me can come to know the hope that lies within me. Let me pray that they would tonight. God in heaven, we need you. We don't just leave from a message like this and pull our bootstraps up and white knuckle this thing and think that we're going to be able to just do this on our own. Not a chance. This only happens by your grace at work in our life. And so as you've given us an incredible picture of how you 
have called us to serve, how you have called us to give our life away through washing your disciples' feet. And again, that's figuratively. But God, would that picture, would it, would it be etched in our heart tonight so that we don't wake up tomorrow and live the same selfish lives that we've lived for the past 20 years? Where we think that this life is about us. God, would you allow us to see that when we give our life away, that's when life is found. Would you help us to think strategically about what it looks like to leverage my time, leverage my talent, the gifts and abilities that you've given me, leverage my, my treasure, the income that I have, the bank account that I have. It's all yours, God. Will we leave, live lives that are open-handed to you tonight? And would you help us to pursue the people around us and see needs in a way that only you can see them? Help us to walk closely with you, intimately with you. Would we walk into every space and say, God, is this a need you want me to meet? God, please, I'm begging you to go before us tonight and do a work in us that we can't do apart from you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.